With today being the 4th of July, the Lord laid a message on my heart. And I know in the, in the last year with everything that's gone on, I've spoken a lot about our nation. And some people have even said, oh, I'm tired of hearing about the nation or about politics. And uh, if that's you, I'm sorry if it offends you. But I'm going to preach what God lays on my heart. And we need to be in prayer for our nation. It needs to be forefront in our hearts and in our minds. Because God has entrusted us with freedom. He has blessed us. And scripture tells us to be good stewards of what the Lord blesses us with. Amen. I want you to turn to two verses today. One in Psalm, Psalm 33 verse 12. And then in Acts chapter 17, verse 26 and 27. I've entitled my message today, Did God Have a Plan for America? If you ask people that question today, you'll get a variety of answers. Some people will laugh at you. Some people will mock at the idea. Some people will say this country was born out of greed. That it still consists because of greed. But there are those that will also look back at, at the history of our nation and they will tell you, yes, I believe that God is instrumental and had his hand on this nation. And so I want us to look at what scripture says and I'm going to give you some history today. And I hope bringing the history into it encourages you because it's powerful. But scripture is what's most important. Amen? I want us to begin with Psalm 33, verse 12. Now, in the context, God is speaking to Israel, but I want you to notice something powerful. He doesn't address Israel in this verse. He, he said, listen to what he says. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. He doesn't specifically focus on Israel. He, he broadens it, and the statement is inclusive to any nation who says, God, the God of the Bible, is our Lord. And it says, and the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. Now, I want to... I have you look at Acts chapter 17 with me because there's something powerful in that, those two verses. First of all, we know that any nation who declares that our God is the God of the Bible, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen, that they're going to be blessed. God declared it. But what about God structuring and bringing together and forming nations? Did God have anything to do with the, the first nation's people that came to this land and experienced its, its, its fruit and its, its blessings? Did God have anything to do with the people that traveled in the early years to this land? Does God have anything to do with the people that are still longing and doing whatever they can to come to this nation today? Well, I think the answer of that's in Acts chapter 17. Look at this. Verse 26. 
And he, speaking of God, has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. Now, if there's any racism in your heart as a Christian, it shouldn't be there. That verse declares, this is a side note, this is extra. I'm just throwing it in. There shouldn't be racism in the heart of any Christian. Because God's word says that we're all one blood. He continues and he says, has determined, now listen to this, God has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. I want you to think about that. God pre-appointed the time that you would exist. The time that you would live. He knows our first day from our last. And he's appointed us. And he's appointed us because he has a work for us to do in the time that we're born in. Many times I've heard, heard guys come up to me and say, I would have been a great mountain man. I, should, I was born a hundred years too late. No, you weren't. You may love the mountains. You may like to live like a mountain man, but God purposely timed your life to be in this, this time. But notice the last part of that. And the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Paul is saying there that God purposed the, the time and the place that we would live. That the boundaries are established by him. So the answer, did God have a plan for the United States of America, is yes. He is the one that established our boundaries. Does that just include the United States? No. Is it God's heart to bless every nation? Yes. Has God established the boundaries of every nation? Yes. And it's with the idea that the people that he places in that nation will seek him and find him and live for him. Amen. Are you with me? Yes. Today we have, have something to be thankful for. That God purposed that we would be in the United States. Whether you are first generation or whether you are a first nation's people, God planned for you to be in this nation. In the Greek, this verse literally says the exact places where you should live. The boundaries of their habitation. That's powerful, isn't it? Some of you are thinking, well, God, why have I moved five times in the last five years? <laughs> but if you're living for the Lord, guess what he says? He said that, the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. Amen. So the, our nation was founded by God with a special calling. Listen, every nation has a special calling. But will they follow? Will they respond? Will they acknowledge the true and the living God that they can be blessed and experience everything that he has for them? That's the question. 
If we look at our history, any student, honest student of history, will come to the conclusion that God had a plan for our nation and that he has a plan for us. I want to give you just a little bit of history. Last year, I remember watching on TV during some of the riots in various cities. And I saw them tear down a statue of Christopher Columbus. And they had all these horrible things they were saying about him. And he was not a perfect man. None of us are perfect. He did things that were ungodly. But I want to ask you, what does history say? What did he say about the reason that he, he felt that he had to come and sail? He was trying to sail to India. But why? Why did he, he have that in his heart? Well, let me tell you. This is from his own journal. It was the Lord who put it in my mind, the fact that it would be possible to sail from here to the Indies. All who heard of my project rejected it with laughter, ridiculing me. There's no question that the inspiration was from the Holy Spirit. Because he, can, he confronted me, listen to this, with rays of marvelous inspiration from the Holy Scriptures. No one should fear to undertake any task in the name of our Savior if it is just and if the intention is purely for His holy service. There's no doubt, looking back and reading from His own words, and again, I'm not saying that He was perfect, but I am saying that he truly believed that it was God that was directing him to come to this nation. That's powerful. Today we tear down the statues. We take this out of... No one in our history books will record anything like this to, that says... They will, they, will, they will tell you that Columbus was just in it for the money, for the fame. And after this, there was a time in his life when he did pursue money. He was concerned with money. He was concerned with position. He was concerned with power. And he wanted all of that. But on his deathbed, how many realize God doesn't stop pursuing us? Aren't you thankful for that? And God never stopped pursuing Christopher Columbus. And his name even means Christ-bearer. And God pursued him, and on his deathbed, he took communion, and he, he said, into thy hands, Father, I commend my soul. So he, he was a man that was a believer. He was a man that believed God was directing him and guiding him. He wasn't perfect, but he believed that. God's Word also teaches us that he does deal with Whole nations, we just read it in Acts. But listen to God's promise to the nation of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 through 9, it says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because... You were more in number than any other people. 
For you were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Throughout the history of Israel, we see that when they kept that covenant with God, when they honored him and worshiped him, God would bless them. But when they turned their back on God and and began to forget about him, forget about all of his blessings, and, and they weren't thankful for what God had done, what happens? The enemies come. The enemies defeat them. They go into bondage. Though it's, it's a pattern of history, and church, we're to learn from that. Amen? God wants us to learn from that. But today, many Christians don't believe that God still operates in a covenant na- nature with nations. Since the coming of Jesus Christ, many, many Christians believe, well, it's just about an individual relationship, and it is. You're not going to get to heaven based on your mom or your dad's relationship with Jesus. You're going to get to heaven because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? So that's true, but does God still have a plan for nations? I believe that he does. I believe any nation that responds to him and acknowledges him They're going to be blessed, and God's going to use them for his glory. Do you believe that? Could it have been that people that have come to this nation in in the past, throughout history, that they believed that God had a plan for this country? That they were to be a city on a hill? John Winthrop was a Puritan lawyer. He was the first governor of Massachusetts. And it's interesting that if you read about his life and what he said, he believed that this nation, that God was calling the Puritan people to this nation to be a city set on a hill. He even referred to our nation as New Israel. He believed that God was calling people to have a covenant relationship and that God was going to use this nation to bring light to the world. He believed that. One of the verses that they looked at and they they applied it to themselves was in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7 and 9. How many have ever read a scripture and had the Lord just speak that scripture into your heart? It it may have been speaking to Israel, it may have been speaking to someone else, but you know, you knew without a doubt that the Lord was making that verse alive and that he was speaking that to your heart and life. God does that. Amen? He does that. And this is one of the verses that they read and they believed that God was speaking to them. Listen to it. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow, flow out of valleys and hills. 
a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. They, they read that and it just came alive and they believed that. And guess what? That is a description of what God has done in this nation. He has blessed us. We are, we are blessed in so many ways with natural resources. Amen? And if we study the, the history of the Puritans, most of us have heard of the Scarlet Letter. Nathaniel Hawthorne's novel in 1850 that was written. And we have our perception of the Puritans from that novel. But if you study the actual history, you will find that there is no question that the Puritans took sin seriously, but they actually countered it with great mercy and love. We don't see that in, in the, the novel or what's being reported today in the history book. And, and church, to be honest with you, and, and straightforward, I wish that we had a little more fear of sin in our lives. I wish our nation did have a little more fear of sin in its heart. Amen? But the reason that they, they were disciplinary, they believed they had to discipline themselves to live a holy and pure life, and that they had to hold their brothers and sisters accountable in this new land is because all of them believed God had a plan. God was going to use them, and God was going to do something awesome in this new land. That's why. That's why they were strict. That's why they were watching out for one another. And they, they said, we've got to address sin. You'll find that their heart, though, if you read the encounters, that the Puritans showed great mercy and love. That the heart of their magistrates who used the Bible as their law book, that they knew the God's Word. And one of the verses that they cling to was in Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Where it says, I, God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. So their, their response when someone was caught in sin wasn't just discipline. It was to encourage them to repent and to make things right with God. And it wasn't just for them. It just, wasn't just for that moment. It was because they believed that God had a greater plan for the nation. And church, we need a little bit of that today. Amen? We need to recognize that sin destroys a nation. But holiness and righteousness, God blesses. Lord, help our nation to be righteous. There was a time in our nation when, when our nation, even though there were large people that weren't people that were in church every Sunday, our nation as a whole recognized the Judeo-Christian ethics. And they recognized that's what our nation's laws were founded on, the Ten Commandments. And that they, they recognized that that brings blessing into the nation. 
They recognized that was the best way to live. Even if they weren't believers, they recognized that moral code made for a greater nation. Today we no longer acknowledge that. Today we glorify sin. Church, we need a move of God. Amen. Another man that we look at, how many of our heroes were really actually people that knew God? We, we, you talk about our heroes in our nation and immediately George Washington comes to mind. You'll hear today and even on our, in our history books and our schools, well, he was a deist if he was anything. In other words, he just believed that there was a God out there somewhere but he wasn't a devout Christian. Our history is being removed. In church, we need to share the history of our nation with our kids. One of the books are, that George Washington wrote when he was 20 years old. He wrote this little 24-page booklet on prayer. It was called The Daily Sacrifice. I read a few verses out of it a while back. Today I want to read some more. And I want you to tell me if this sounds like some, someone who just thinks there's a God out there somewhere or if it's truly someone that had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to this. O most glorious God, I acknowledge and confess my faults in the weak and imperfect performance of my duties of this day. I have called on thee for pardon and forgiveness of sins, but so coldly and carelessly that my prayers are become my sin and stand in need of pardon. I have heard thy holy word but with such deadness of spirit that I have been an unprofitable and forgetful hearer. But, O oh God, who art rich in mercy and plenteous in redemption, mark not, I beseech thee, that I have done amiss. Remember that I am but dust, and remit my transgressions, uh, neglections, and ignorances, and cover them all with the absolute obedience of thy dear Son. That those sacrifices of sin, praise, and thanksgiving which I have offered may be accepted by thee in and for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ offered upon the cross for me. He was a born-again believer. He knew the power of the cross of Jesus. He knew the power of the blood that was shed for him. He came to God asking for cleansing and repentance. We think of George Washington as a great general. We think of him as a mighty man, uh, you know, in, in a, as a leader. We think of him in so many different ways, as the father of our nation in many ways. All these things. But church, he was God's man chosen for that time. God orchestrated it. God kept him alive. And we need to teach that to our kids. We need to teach that to the next generation. Another prayer. Listen to this prayer. Direct my thoughts, words, and work. Wash away my sins in the immaculate blood of the Lamb. And purge my heart by the Holy Spirit. Daily frame me more and more into the likeness 
of Thy Son, Jesus Christ. That's the heart of a man of God. That's the heart of our founding father. And if you, if you search history, you'll find that there, yes, there were a few deists in the founding fathers, but the vast majority of them were just like George Washington. They were devout Christian men. That is the roots. That's the founding of our nation. And church, I'm going to fight with my last breath to make sure that our nation comes back to that. Amen? Amen? We don't set it aside. We don't leave it by the way. We say, I want to get back to the fullness and the richness and the blessings that God intends for our nation that honors Him. He's considered to be a great general, a great leader of men. Listen to what orders he gave his men when he was general. Listen to this. It says, the general most earnestly requires and expects a due observance of those articles of war established for the government of the army, which forbid profane cursing, swearing, and drunkenness, and in like manner he requires and expects of all officers and soldiers not engaged in actual duty a punctual attendance of divine services to implore the blessing of heaven upon the means used for our safety and defense. He said, army, you're going to be moral men and you're going to attend church. He couldn't get them saved, but he was going to push them all the way to heaven's gate, so to speak. Amen? We think today so many times that a man's man has to be a man that swears or cusses or gets drunk or chases women. All these things. That's the spirit of the world. But the spirit of God raised up a mighty man like David who had a heart for God that led his men in righteousness and holiness. That is the founding of this nation. And we need to get back to that. Can you imagine what would happen if one of our generals today said there's not going to be any cursing, there's not going to be any filthy language, there's not going to be any drunkenness in the army, and you're going to be in church every service if you're not on duty. God help us. When the time came for General Washington to step down, it was very emotional, few final words that he spoke to the nation. And history records that he choked up and that he had tears in his eyes. He said, I consider it an indispensable duty to close this last solemn act of my official life by commending the interest of our dearest country to the protection of Almighty God. And of those who have superintendence of them to His holy keeping. 
And history records that not only did he have tears in his eyes, but many in the crowd that day were saw weeping. He was commending our nation into the hands of God and those that would lead this nation. He recognized what God had done, what God had brought together, and that he recognized only God could keep it together. Only God could do it. God gave Israel a powerful warning that is so appropriate for us today. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10. I want you to listen to this warning from the Lord. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirst, thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flint rock, who fled you, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. We have more food in this land than any nation. Our bellies are full. Even the poorest among us are in the highest percentage of wealth in the world. And yet today we're saying it's by our mighty hand that we've built this. No, it's not. It's the blessing of our God. It's the blessing of our Lord. America needs to heed this warning just like Israel. It's God who gives us the ability to gain wealth. I want to end with one more scripture in Psalm 127 verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who built it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. We may think we have the greatest army in the world, and we probably do. But unless God, unless God guards the house, we labor in vain. We could be overcome by another nation, just like Israel was. Church, I know that many Christians don't like a message like this. 
They think we're bringing politics into uh, the church and, and God's in the middle of it. God tells us to be the light in the midst of the darkness. He tells us to go into every area of our culture and be the light that isn't sinful. Amen? That's why I have young people coming in and they're studying to, to go into to the, uh, the film industry in Hollywood. Thank God for that. If they're called to do that, I'm behind them 100%. Go turn that industry around. Bring the light of Jesus Christ into it. And that's the same way I feel about our nation. If God calls you to run for city council or mayor or governor or the president of the United States, I'm behind you 100%. But I'm not caught up in the fact that, that uh, if we don't have a Christian in the White House, that, that all's lost and I'm going to give up because it's God who builds the house. It's God who builds the nation. It's God who protects the nation. And so the Christians have to rise up and intercede for our nation. We may never have another Christian in the White House, but God can still use our nation. Amen. Amen. And we can still pray. We can still intercede. And we need to be doing that. Somebody the other day, one of the people that was offended because of some of the stuff I've been saying from the pulpit, they said, well, God gave me a revelation and God spoke to me that even if our nation becomes communist, God's still on the throne. And I wanted to say, duh. I didn't. I did say, yes, God's always going to be on the throne. But I believe that God has given this nation blessings. There's never been a nation that has given benevolence around the world like the United States of America. No one comes close. There's never been a nation that has sent missionaries like the United States of America and supported missions. And if we don't pray and if we don't stand up for righteousness and we just say, well, it's okay, God's still on the throne even if our nation becomes communist, we started off, we started off with a short video with three people who were in that kind of country without any freedoms and the difference that, that it made coming to America. We're here, we're blessed so that we can give, so we can send benevolence around the world, so we can support missions. We can send them around the world and tell them, Jesus is the light. Amen. Jesus is the Savior of the world. So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you today. Not to just be thankful. You know, so many, I don't have a problem with people that want to have camp, go camping and have a good time and have fun. Our, our summers are short and I understand that. But what I do have a problem with is people that don't get it. That they're not concerned about what's taking place in our nation. And they're not praying about it. And they're not teaching the next generation. 
because and, and, we're going to pass this country on to them. I have six grandkids. And they're not going to grow up in the, in the United States that I did. I could ride my bicycle to school two miles down a dirt road and never think anything about someone picking me up or taking me. In school, the worst thing, in high school, we got in trouble for putting gum under our desk. Things have changed. But I want my grandkids to know. One of them's right here on the front row. McKenna, I want you to know God's hand was upon this nation. And one day, your generation's going to be in control. And you're still going to have the responsibility to be the light, to be the salt, to intercede for this nation. And if the Lord tarries, to pass it down to your children. I want my grandkids to know that. And as we come to the close today, I want you to join me in prayer. I'm going to have the worship team come. And we're going to go have a picnic and we're going to have fun and fellowship. But I want to ask you a question. If our church doesn't care about where our nation's headed, who will? If our church isn't willing to intercede and pray, who will? If we're not concerned about the nation that we're passing down to our children, and we're passing down trillions, almost $30 trillion in debt because of the incompetence of the leadership in our nation, it's wrong. You say, Pastor, you're getting political. Yes, I am. And I'm not ashamed of it because I care about our nation. Because I love our nation. And if any student of history that's honest with themselves will study the lives and how God brought together. Another thing, George Washington wrote a letter to his brother Jack. And he said, men have been falling at my left and my right. And it's only the providence of God, God's hand upon me that has kept me alive. He recognized that God kept him alive in the midst of those battles when everyone to his left and right were, were being killed and, and, and giving their lives for this nation. Yet God kept him alive. He recognized that God's hand was upon him. And church, God's hand is upon you. God has a mission for you. 
God wants you to be the light in this, in this world of darkness. God wants us to pray and intercede. He wants us to stand up for righteousness. He wants us to pray, God bless America. If, I've, if I do everything I can and our nation shifts and our nation goes communist, guess what? I'm still, I'm going to be the underground church. I'm still going to share the gospel. But I pray for the next generation's sake that we don't go that way. Amen. And I'm calling you to join me to pray for our nation. We, we can't just shove it off and say, well, it's not that bad yet. The next generation can deal with it. No, we need to deal with it. We need to, we need to get on our knees and say, God, Show us what to do. God, direct us. God, turn our nation around. Amen. Will you stand with me?